is what is often referred to as the Ten Commandments. And so we're going to do a little mini-series marching through Exodus chapter number 20, looking at these Ten Commandments. And this morning, we're going to begin with an introductory sermon on the subject of the Ten Commandments because it's very easy for us as New Covenant believers to begin to have a paradigm of the Ten Commandments that doesn't fit where, where we are as believers under the blood of Christ. And so we, it's really important that as we move through this study, we are perceiving and we're seeing the Ten Commandments in a way that aligns with who we are now as new covenant believers. We're, we're no longer under the old covenant. We're no longer under the law of Moses. Uh, we're under the law of Christ. And so how do we we as New Covenant, New Testament believers perceive or how do we look at the Ten Commandments that were given kind of through the law of Moses. And so this is going to be an introductory message that is going to lay the foundation for us to have a proper understanding of where we're going as we move through this particular series. And so I'm excited to pick this back up and uh, we've already moved through 19 chapters of this. And if you're newer to Fresno Church, then you know we're just kind of a, a Bible teaching church. We go verse by verse by verse. We pick a book of the Bible. We go verse by verse through that, and we've gone through dozens and dozens of books of the Bible, and so now we're excited to pick this up again in Exodus chapter number 20. So I'm going to ask if I can. Uh, Let's see. we got Landon. I think Erica is here. Why don't you uh, read our scripture text today, and then we'll dive into the Bible study. And then Landon, if you could lead us in prayer, we'll uh, dive into the sermon after that. So Moses went up, And the Lord said to him, Go down and warn the people so they do not force their way through to see the Lord, and many of them will perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves, or the Lord will break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, because you yourself warned us. Put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. The Lord replied, Go down and bring Aaron up with you. But the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord, or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I uh, ask for your blessing this morning, Lord, on our service. I pray that you would give Pastor the words to say as he divides the word this morning. Um, I thank you for all that you'll do in advance, God. We love you. In your name I pray. Amen. If we were to sum up this entire sermon that we're going to speak through today, and I had to give it one statement, the statement would simply be this. There's nothing the law can make you do. Okay, we're talking about this law of Moses, the Ten Commandments. There's nothing that the law can make you do that love can't make you do better. I want you to let that sink in for a moment. There is nothing that rules can make you do that a relationship can't make you do better. You see, under the Old Testament or under the Old Covenant, it was a covenant of rules. It was a covenant of rituals. It was a covenant of law. But as New Covenant believers or New Testament believers, we are under a different law. It is the law of love or the law of Christ. And so as we look at the Ten Commandments, it's very, very important that we are perceiving the Ten Commandments through the lens of being a new covenant believer. And so the crux of what we're going to see today is that there is nothing the law, this law of Moses, can make you do that the love of Christ can't make you do 
even better, all right? So that's kind of our theme moving in today. So sometimes people might ask the question then, what role does the law play in the life of a new covenant believer? Uh, the Apostle Paul said later on as he was writing to these churches, these early churches, he said, the law is good if it be used lawfully. It's good if it be used rightly. Uh, one illustration that might help us as New Covenant believers help us understand what the role of the law is might be to picture some train tracks. Uh, how many of you have noticed that uh, here in Fresno in the Central Valley uh, there is an attempt to build a giant uh, speed rail here going through town? All right? I, don't, I don't know if it's ever going to get finished, but uh, over by my house uh, they're making a valiant effort at it, all right? And, and it's getting built. And the way it's going to work is there will be these tracks but the tracks on a, a train tracks do not have the ability to get a train somewhere they, they simply guide in a direction but the tracks in and of themselves provide no fuel the tracks in and of themselves provide no energy the tracks in and of themselves provide no gas or to, to move that train forward it simply guides it simply shows a direction in much the same way the law can be used to give us a picture of where Christ's love is going to take us however the law these Ten Commandments in and of themselves have absolutely no ability to empower or to energize or to move the believer forward in their relationship with Christ. They're like tracks. They can show you where to go, but they have no capacity to actually get you there. So what is it that fuels the life of a believer? What is it that energizes the life of a believer? What is it that gives a believer the ability to move forward in their relationship with God and in loving people around them? It is the love love of Jesus. That's what empowers. That's what mobilizes. That's what pushes the believer forward. So Hebrews chapter number 7, uh, verse number 19, we believe, historians believe that this was possibly, probably written by the Apostle Paul uh, to the Jews, all right? So most scholars would believe that's the case. And the Bible says this in Hebrews chapter number 7, we believe the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said this, for the law makes nothing perfect. That's interesting. We might believe that, man, if we just give people enough rules, if we just give people enough laws, if we just give people enough rituals to follow, that eventually they'll get good enough, that they'll be good enough, that they will do what they're supposed to do. And yet the Apostle Paul is saying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, no, the laws, the rules, the rituals, they do not have the capacity to make anybody perfect. They do not have the ability to bring spiritual maturity to the life of a believer, just like railroad tracks have no ability to get you somewhere. They can show you where you need to go. They can show you where that power is going to take you. But in and of themselves, they have no ability to actually get you there. And so when we study these Ten Commandments, it's very important that we do not look at these Ten Commandments like a, a checklist. Like, okay, I'm really going to focus on these rules. I'm really going to focus on this law. I'm really going to focus on these rituals. Because if I focus on them enough, if I look at them enough, I, maybe that'll do something in my heart, that'll do something in my soul that makes me want to do what I'm supposed to do. Which brings us to our first point, Hebrews 7. The law makes nothing perfect. So here's point number one. If you're like a note taker like me and you want a kind of a big idea, here's one. The law of Moses, these Ten Commandments, are inadequate. I think this is a key word. 
They are inadequate in developing spiritual maturity. You say, how do you know that? Because these laws were given to the children of Israel. Those of you who are Bible scholars, how many of you understand? It didn't really work for the children of Israel, did it? In developing spiritual maturity in them. It didn't work for them. And I'm going to say this. It's not going to work for us. Because the laws of Moses, these Ten Commandments, are inadequate in developing spiritual maturity. We're going to talk later about what is the role of the Ten Commandments, what is their role in our lives, but I'm going to say this, they are inadequate in inspiring your heart, in energizing your soul, in changing your attitudes and motivations to become all that God desires you to come. It's inadequate. The law makes nothing perfect. Can't do it. That's not, that's not what the law is for in New Covenant believers. Uh, Romans chapter number 7 verse 5, and I hope you have your Bibles because I want you to see these things for yourself, all right? The Bible says in Romans 7 verse 5, for when we were in the realm of the flesh, all right, most of us are in the realm of the flesh, all right, most of us have bodies, most of us have arms, legs, all right, the realm of flesh, it says, for when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused, this is interesting, I want you to focus on this, the sinful passion aroused, what aroused our sinful passions? Notice this, they were aroused by the law. Wait a second, what, what? Paul, what are you saying to the church at Rome? He's saying that your sinful passions literally get instigated, they get aroused by the rules. The more you focus on the rules, the more there's something in your flesh that wants to rebel against them. You say, I don't know if I believe that. Any of you who have children know exactly what I'm talking about. The moment you tell your four-year-old, five-year-old kid, hey, Okay, I made some cookies. They're in that jar over there. Don't take one. Man, all of a sudden, that rule instigates something in the heart of that child that makes them want what they can't have. Now, this is not just a kid thing. How many of you have ever been in a situation where the moment you knew you couldn't do something, there was something in you that just kind of wanted to do it in your flesh? I don't like being told what to do. I don't like somebody telling me what I can. Why? Because we're rebellious at our very heart and core in the flesh. And that's what Paul is saying. Our sinful passions actually get aroused by the law. The law stirs something in us in rebellion and says, I don't want that. That's why rules have a hard time changing us on a core level. There is a purpose to the law. But it is not to change your heart. The law has no capacity. Rules have no capacity to change us. You say, how do you know that? If rules had the capacity to change our behaviors, none of us would speed ever. <laughs> how many of you, be honest, yeah, maybe in the last year, I've broken a speed limit. You don't have to raise your hand, all right? Some of you are pointing at your husband. No, that's not what we're here to do. If rules were enough to change our behavior, None of us would speed. None of us would get speeding tickets. Why? Because the rule would change us. Rules do not have the capacity to change our behaviors. They can show us maybe where God wants to take us. They can give us a picture of where we would go if the spirit of love was leading our lives. But in and of themselves, they have no capacity to change us. The Bible says sin was brought on by the law. There's other verses that say our sinful passions were brought on, uh, brought on by the law. Our passions are roused by the law. It's just human nature. 
Romans chapter number 8, verse 3, and I'm giving you a lot of scripture references because I don't want you to just take my word for this. This is a theme throughout the book of Romans as the Apostle Paul is trying to help the church at Rome understand their position under the new covenant. He doesn't want them to get this messed up. He doesn't want them to just focus all on their, Jew, their Jewish rituals and their Jewish rules. They had all these laws, these 600 plus rules that a good Jew had to keep. So he wanted them to understand, no, what you need is a heart change. You need your heart of stone to be made, hearts of flesh that are thriving and pumping. And he says this, for what the law, this is Romans 8 verse 3, he says, for what the law was powerless to do, this is Paul talking, he says, you know, those rules, those Ten Commandments, the laws of Moses, they were, they were powerless to do something. What is that? Change our hearts because it was weakened by the flesh. Your flesh makes you unable to accomplish in and of yourself what God wants you to do. There are some, and this is, this is what religion at its core is. Sometimes we'll stand up and say, this, this Christianity thing is not a religion. It's a relationship. What does that mean? It means that our driving motivation isn't a list of rules. What ultimately changes us is not a bunch of rituals that we have to follow or laws that we have to lean into. No, why? Because the law of Moses is inadequate in developing spiritual maturity. The law of Moses is inadequate in changing our motivations, changing our values, changing our attitudes, and ultimately changing our behaviors. The laws of Moses cannot change us, cannot transform us. It's not what the law was given for to do. So, if you, I'm, I want you to think about this for a moment. But to remain focused on avoiding sin, I'm going to obey this rule and make sure I'm doing that rule. As long as you're focused on, a, on avoiding sin, that is not going to fight carnality. In fact, I know this sounds weird, but it's actually going to facilitate it. The more you're focused on what I'm supposed to do and what I'm not supposed to do, and if that's your entire existence as a Christian is just obsessing with what I'm not supposed to do this and I am supposed to do this and I got to try harder to do that and try harder not to do that, the Bible literally says not only does does that not fight carnality, that mindset on an ongoing basis actually will feed your carnality. Why? Because that's what the law does. It arouses sinful passions in the flesh. You see, why is that? Because inevitably it encourages self-absorption, not self-abandonment. The key to living a transcendent, spirit-filled life is to abandon oneself, not to become absorbed with oneself. And Christians tend to believe, no, as long as I'm absorbed with doing right, as long as I'm absorbed and focused on doing the right things, as long as my mindset is, how can I do this better, and how do I abstain from that, we tend to think, all right, that's how I become more spiritually mature. That's how I get better. And yet that is self-absorption, even though it leans into a positive, positive posture. Christ does not call us to self-absorption, but rather to self-abandonment. Where we transcend our focus on what I'm supposed to do, what I'm not supposed to do, and we fix our eyes on Jesus. Point number one, the law of Moses is inadequate in developing spiritual maturity. It's inadequate. For a little while, it might give you an expression, a surface morality that other people in the church say, wow, look at that Christian, they're so good. It'll it'll give you an appearance of godliness, but it won't change the core of who you are. 
Focusing on rules and rituals and laws will not change you at your essence. It will not change your motivations. It will not change your values, what's important to you. It will not change your attitude, your worldviews, your beliefs, and ultimately your behavior. Because rules can't change the essence of who you are. The Spirit of Christ does that, which leads us to our second thought. Galatians chapter number 5 verse 18 says this. But if you be led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Okay. There is a spirit of love as new covenant believers that is to become our obsession. There is a new focus for new covenant believers and that is not trying to do everything right. The new obsession is Jesus. His love, his spirit, his grace. And as we obsess, we, we abandon our own self-efforts and we fix our eyes on Jesus, what happens is he changes the essence of who we are at our core. And when the core of who we are changes, then the behavior, the expressions of who we are begin to fall into place, which leads us to our second thought, all right? We saw point number one, the law of Moses is inadequate in and of itself in developing spiritual maturity. Secondly, the love of Christ is better at developing spiritual maturity. The love of Christ is better. Fixing your eyes on Jesus Focusing on his love, his grace, his mercy will do far more in changing the essence, the core of who you are than obsessing with all the rules and rituals and laws and making sure you're walking the walk and talking the talk. If you are obsessed with that, eventually you'll self-sabotage because you can't do it. You'll start feeling guilty and ashamed You'll feel like I'm not good enough. Why? Because your life is supposed, as a new covenant believer, your life is supposed to be found in fixing your eyes on Jesus and letting him do through you what you can't do in and of your flesh. Second Corinthians chapter number five says this. For Christ's love compels us. It's Christ's love that drives us to what? It goes on to say that those who live should no longer live for themselves. Self-abandonment is found in the love of Christ. Not just knowing about the love of Christ, because we all know about Christ's love. What it's saying here is those who are experiencing Christ's love deep down in their soul. They're enjoying Christ's love. They're sensing Christ's love. They're feeling Christ's love and his grace and his mercy. And they're living under that spout of his goodness and his grace and his love and his mercy and his forgiveness. And those people that are living and experiencing and enjoying and sensing and feeling the reality of the spirit of God's love and passion upon them, those are the people who begin to change from the inside out. Because you can never express, to those around, express something to those around you that you are not first experiencing yourself. And this is why it is so important to look to Christ. Because he is the only one who can ultimately fill your love tank with grace and mercy and compassion. So that what you're experiencing overflows to those around you. And that is how life change and spiritual maturity takes place and works in the life of a new covenant believer. Not getting out your checklist and saying, am I doing everything right today? And most people who are not in church think that's what Christianity is. They think it's a list of rules. And that's why they want nothing to do with it. 
because they think Christians walk around with a list for themselves and then judge everybody else by that same list. Uh, you, you guys had your wedding ceremony this week. It was awesome. I got to see pictures of it. It was so incredible. I don't think, Jonathan, I don't think uh, Brittany handed you a list of rules now that you're a husband. Here's a list of 563 rules. If you're going to be the husband, uh, this, is, this is how it's going to work, you know? The assumption is that the love you have for each other is going to produce the right behaviors. It's going to produce the right actions one toward another. I don't think she gave you a list. I said, well, every once a month, you got to give me flowers. You know, every other month, you take me on a trip. You know, every two weeks, we're going on a date. <laughs> every, you know, six months. There wasn't this, like, didactic, these are all, no. There's love. And the assumption is, if it's truly love, that it'll manifest itself in compassionate behaviors. And you stepped into a relationship believing that love was strong enough to accomplish those things. That's what God thinks. That, that his love is strong enough to change your behaviors. Not a list of rules and rituals and laws. Why? Because the love of Christ is better. Yes, those rules can give you some direction. Those rules can show you where the love of Christ might take you. It might give you a picture. But to obsess on those does not empower transformation. All right? So, there are some Christians, even in this room, who have not yet, they're not yet externally expressing the internal perfection that they already have in Christ, okay? Because that's where, we are all in what's called the, the divine in-between. Not everybody in here is expressing their divine perfection. Because of what Christ has done for you on the cross, do you understand that in Christ, at the very essence of who you are, you are perfect? You are. You would not be allowed into heaven if at a very core soul level, spirit level, you were not righteous. You see, when Christ died on the cross and you put your faith in him, he imputed unto you his son's perfect righteousness. And at the essence of who you are, at your very uh, spirit level, you are perfect. You have Christ's imputed righteousness upon you. That's why you get to go to heaven. Because you surrendered all of your imperfections, and you were given Christ's perfection. And at your essence, you're perfect. Now, that's not to say on a physical level, all of you are expressing that perfection. Because we're in the messy middle of a glorified body and the flesh on earth. All right? So the best way to begin to express our internal perfection that we have in Christ, the essence of who you are, that is your identity for a believer in Christ, is perfection. That is the essence of who you are. The best way to get serious about expressing the perfection that you already have on a spirit level, the best way to get serious about your spiritual maturity is to be preoccupied with the love of Christ, not with the laws of Moses. Do you take time to cultivate your passion for Christ. What, what rituals for you help cultivate your compassion for Jesus, your passion for him, your love for him? The best way to get serious about your spiritual maturity is to get preoccupied with the love of Christ. And can I say this? 
You say, well, what? I'm doing a pretty good job. I've grown up in church. I, I've been here for a long time. I know all the rules. I know, I know how to dot my I's and cross my T's. I know how to do everything that churches want you to do and religion wants you to do and this denomination wants you to do. I'm really good at walking the walk and talking the talk. And, and everybody around me thinks I'm a good Christian. And I will say this. Even if you do succeed on some surface level, with expressions of what other people around you might perceive as morality. And you can convince your parents, and you can convince the people you go to church with, and you can convince your boss that you're a good moral individual because of your checklist. Can I say this? Even if you succeed at that, what happens if it is just of the flesh and wasn't motivated by Christ's love, it's going to leave you with a sense of arrogance. <laughs> I'm better than these people. Look what I was able to accomplish. A sense of a superiority complex. Ha! Look what I did. So even if you succeed on a surface level with some expression of perceived morality by those around you, if it's done in the flesh by focusing on this rules, it'll still leave the core of who you are rotten with arrogance, a superiority complex, sometimes an entitlement mentality. Well, God, I did this for you. You owe me. And this is why we have so many people who fill our churches that on the surface are doing all the right things and nobody can stand being around them because at their core, they're just rotten. They're arrogant. They're pain to be around. They demonstrate no fruit of the spirit. They've got a superiority complex. All of a sudden, there's this entitlement of what I deserve because what I've done. Because if you're doing it in the flesh, you can get the surface right. You can get all the behaviors right. But you're going to make something about your vibe, something about your spirit. It's just going to turn people off. And they're going to hate being around you. Because that's the best the flesh can do. The love of Christ can change you on a deeper level. Your soul. This is why so many Christians get critical spirits. Why? Because I'm doing it all right. Why can't they? So, is there a place for the law? As we said before, yes. All right? The law of God is good if it be used lawfully. The law of Christ is the schoolmaster, Paul says. It's not a doctor that can fix you, but it is a schoolmaster that can teach you, that can show you where, the, where, where, where Dr. Grace, Dr. Jesus can heal this teacher, the law, can kind of point you in the direction where to find Dr. Grace and why you need this Dr. Jesus, all right? Hebrews 12, verse 2 says, here's your focus. Look unto Jesus, the author. No, what's the next word? And finisher, perfecter of your faith. It doesn't say look unto the law to perfect your faith. It doesn't say look to the rules to finish your faith. It says, look to Jesus. Focus on him because he can do the deep work in the soul that rules cannot do. To, to give you a closing illustration here, there are a couple of laws 
uh, in the physical realm, in science. How many of you guys like science? Any kids in here like science? Maybe some of you, some of you kind of get into all the science stuff. So there's a law, one of the, one of the scientific laws in our world is the law of gravity. How many of you are familiar with the law of gravity? All right, you're aware of the law of gravity. How many of you have experienced the painful effects of the law of gravity as you trip over a stair or something like that? All right, we've all had those experiences. It's a law of gravity. The law of gravity says, hey, the motion's going to head in a downward position. I know scientists, so I'm probably not saying that right. But we know what the law of gravity is. The law of Moses is a lot like the law of gravity, you know? It can do one thing. But there's another law in science. It's called the law of thermodynamics. The law of thermodynamics is the law that planes use to transcend the law of gravity. It's more powerful than the law of gravity. It's the law of thermodynamics. It provides the lift that gets us moving in the right direction. In much the same way, just like the law of gravity has a posture, a position where it takes us, the law of grace, the law of love, can help us transcend those things that are holding us back. So I'll say this. As a believer, even if you get all the rules wrong, you mess up on all 10 of these commandments that we're going to start diving into over the next few weeks. Can I, can I just be really honest with you? It's not going to make God love you less. It won't. And as a pastor, I really want to tell you something different. <laughs> I'd love as a religious leader to be able to manipulate you into doing what this religious organization wants you to do by telling you that God will love you less if you don't do these things, but it's just not Bible. God doesn't love you less when you don't do what you're supposed to do. He doesn't love you less when you don't go to church. <laughs> God doesn't love the people in this room more than he loves the people on this screen. <laughs> Why? Because of the imputed righteousness he places upon you. But I will say this. You may not love God as much if you don't follow his plan for your life. And that's ultimately what this is about. There are things you can do in your life that cultivate your passion for God. You could never come to church for the rest of your life and God will still love you the same but you may not love God the same. And that is ultimately your purpose, isn't it? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So people who come to church, are they more loved than people who don't go to church? No. But I will say this, by and large, most of the time people who go to church tend to love God more than the people who don't because they're cultivating it. People who are in the word, as Ryan said a moment ago, does God love Ryan less when he's not in the word than when he is in the word? No. God loves you with an everlasting love. He can't love you anymore. But Ryan, are you able to love God more when you're in the word? And that's ultimately what it's about. Cultivating rituals that allow your passion for God to flourish. It's not about getting God to love you more. He can't do it. It's about you loving him more. And that's where church attendance and getting in the word and having spiritual disciplines that grow and cultivate our heart of grace. That's what the issue is. So here's our takeaway. 
relationships are way more powerful than rules. And whether we're talking about a relationship with God or relationship with our family or our relationship with our children, relationships are way more powerful than rules and love is way more powerful than laws. Love is way more powerful than laws. So that kind of lays the foundation. So when we move into this series on the Ten Commandments, we need to look at this through the lens of a new covenant believer or else we'll get all this off and we'll actually make things worse for ourselves than make them better, all right? So this introductory kind of message to help us know where we're going over the next few weeks as we tackle these Ten Commandments and how we interact with them as new covenant believers. And so I'm going to ask if I can at this time... um, Let's see, Gary, why don't you uh, close us in a word of prayer? Maybe if some of these requests that were mentioned earlier, you can remember. I'm glad you guys are feeling better here and looking forward to just what the uh, Lord has for us for the remainder of the service. Let us pray, church. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your love, for the love that you showed us through Jesus Christ dying on on the cross for our sins. And we we ask, Lord, that you do work in us um, to... Just give us the grace that's necessary for us to to love like you do. Uh, We ask, Lord, that you continue to bless this church and uh, with all of our needs, Lord, uh, whether they're financial or or especially spiritual, Lord, uh, that we might grow closer to you. And by doing so, uh, just show this community the love that God has. We thank you, Lord, for uh, this place that you have given us to to come to worship you and uh, freely do that, Lord. And we we ask, Lord, that you continue to bless as only you can. And uh, you know the, the the things that we face here with the COVID and all this, uh, the troubles that are going on. We we know that uh, the time is near, Lord. That uh, your your return is nigh, and, and we need to be faithfully. Uh, serving you and working for you, Lord, and just spreading the gospel wherever we go. Continue to bless our hearts with your word, uh, through the preaching of your word and the teaching of your word. We, we thank you, Lord, for all that you provide for us. And we ask, Lord, that, that you continue to bless uh, these prayer requests, the ones that, that, that have so many needs. Uh, there's so many that are sick, Lord, just... Remove the sickness, heal their bodies so that they might join with us and and worship also. And we ask, Lord, for forgiveness for the many times that we fail. Uh, We come short of your glory. These favors and blessings we ask in Jesus' name because he alone is worthy. Amen.